Get it on. However do you need me. Uh-huh. However do you want me. 294 Under Siege. However do you need me. R.I.P. USADA. However do you want me. Legend Reparations. However do you need me. Baddest of all. However do you want me. All that and more tonight on Scrapcast. Time again, as always, Scrapcast in your area. The host, Ace, co-host, Mr. Will. Mr. Will, how you doing? Good, man. Good to be here. How you good, doing? good, good. All right. So, fucking season three getting response from the first episode. It's nice. Yeah. Shout out to everybody listening. <clears throat> yeah, we're gonna try hard not to make you guys wait so long for fight reviews. So let's get <laughs> let's get right down to it. Round um, one. Yeah. UFC Fight Night, Dawson versus Green. Um, it's a pretty good fight card overall. Kind of a surprising ending in the main event, I thought. Okay. Um, Green with the first round TKO over Dawson. He was a he was a almost a plus four hundred underdog. Um, I know when we talked about the last uh, podcast, Grant Dawson was one of those guys UFC is trying to push, and so mm-hmm. it was. There's a lot of things Bobby was going to have to overcome to end up getting a win, but, right, you know, punch him in the face, call it a day, man. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people, you know, didn't see that happening. I personally, I think we had talked about it before. Um, I thought that Dawson had more areas of the fight that he could win. I thought that, you know, his takedown wrestling, chain wrestling was going to be a big problem for Green. Um, all that said, I still put a bet down for Bobby Green <laughs> yeah. to win by yeah. knockout, and that yeah. paid out. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that was nice. Um, can't ever count out the king. I think we talked about it on the show last time, and if so, I just want to reiterate, um, you know, there's certain behavioral traits, you know, because we're all human, and that's a big part of being human, but there's certain behavioral traits with fighters that you really don't want to, like, discount certain fighters you don't want to overlook because when you do and everybody does sometimes they shine better or brighter on those kind of scenarios and bobby green's definitely one of those kind of guys so can't ever count out the king i i I agree and grant dawson still has all these tools which would lead him to win fights in the future however you have to be able to take a punch and and that wasn't even bobby green's best punch nope i mean 30 seconds yeah 30 seconds into the fight he lands he lands the jab yeah and Grant goes down. Yeah, switching styles, um, kind of a straight jab hybrid, you mm-hmm. know, depending on it started out as a straight and then transitioned into a jab by the time it hit. Um, just totally caught Dawson off guard, dropped him, and uh, Bobby Green followed up and got the victory. So yep. kudos to him. Um, you know, one of the fights that we also could see happening the way that it played out was the Drew Dober versus Ricky Glenn fight. That was as much of an execution as we assumed oh it was going to be. Smash that dude. Um, yeah, um, that was pretty nasty. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you know, uh, Bill Algio also, uh, Bill Algio also put on a pretty good performance against Ale- yeah. Alexander Hernandez. Good fight. Both both guys scrapped it out. But um, fucking, what is there to say? We got to talk about it. What's there to say about fucking Morono not being able to pull it out? Yeah, I mean, is it is it that or is it more of Buckley being able to get the win? All right, so that that's a good question, and of course we got to bring this up because we 
you know, told y'all to bet on Alex Morono. Um, <clears throat> we don't usually see Joaquin fight like that, I Mm-mm. think, is the biggest takeaway from this. Joaquin Buckley is usually a swing for the fences, not really conserving his energy, not really necessarily picking his shots and fighting with, you know, um, a level head. So I did not expect that type of performance from Joaquin at all. No, no, me neither. Um, you know, his uh, collectiveness, his um, fighting IQ, his ability to not, you know, engage and just go full tilt as soon as, you know, he as soon as he could, yeah. which has been his style. He's had a lot of, like, really exciting performances mm-hmm. from that. But that's also been what's left him open to getting exactly. his lights turned off or getting shut down in a lot of his fights. And against somebody like Morono, who is a lot more tactical, um, you know, uh, thought he would have, again, the uh, strength on the ground, in the grappling, all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, but what we've seen from Buckley was an ability to really just, you know, stay focused, stay on the game plan hurt Morono over and over and over again. I mean, um, yeah, really, really excited to see what the possibilities are, are for Joaquin Buckley moving forward after that fight. He looked really good, and there's not much else I can say about it except, damn it, he cost me some money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, me too. <clears throat> so, yeah, so then we'll move along. Um, next fight that we had was the one Fight Night 15 card. F- fucking awesome card. Um, fucking fireworks. Um, yeah, a whole bunch. Yes. Um, the, the main event, uh, not withholding. We had uh, Ilya Fremenov versus Fan Lee, mm-hmm. and Fan Lee just came out there. He had your boy, fucking Ryan Hall, in his corner. For those of you that don't know, uh, Mr. Will is not a fan of I Ryan, Hall. Hate Ryan Hall. And uh, he had him okay. in his corner, and then sure enough, within the first. You know, minute, minute yeah. and a half of the fight, got a heel, yeah. heel, heel hawk, uh, heel hook, leg lock. I don't know. What heel hook, leg lock. Yeah, knee he bar. got a, he got a fucking got his ankle and fucking twisted it and just mangled it, and that was the end of yeah. that. Yeah, so. and that's Brian's signature move. So you got to know that they drilled it. And, oh yeah, and yeah. So no, I did not see that coming. Um, props to you know Fan Lee for mm-hmm. um, showing out because he got it done quick. Good for him. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of other good fights on the card. What do you want to talk about? Let's each pick one, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm always happy to see, uh, Tawanche Senshai get the win. Mm-hmm. Um, I was predicting a finish, but he didn't get it, but he still, he still, uh, beat Joe's ass and, uh, it, it was a great fight. He's one of the top, he's one of the top kickboxing fighters in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good fight. Um, another great kickboxing fight was, uh, my fucking, Italian Canadian brother, <laughs> fucking Jonathan Di Bella, getting the win over Daniel Williams. Pretty good fight, and um, you know, got to shout out Mikey Musumeci yeah. for being able to get the submission over Shinya Aoki. Was able to use Shinya's move on him, and then had a really heartfelt, um, empowering speech afterwards about weathering sickness and and mental health and the rest of it, and wanting to maybe call off the fight. Didn't. Went in there with a grappling match was maybe one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting, like result finish of the night was his fight. And that speaks volumes for a uh, submission grappling only match. Um, yeah. But yeah, but but hats yeah. off to Mikey. No, absolutely. Because you don't always get submissions in those grappling only fights. Um, so it was good to see him get the finish. It was good to see him get the finish against a legend and a big name like Shinya Aoki who probably has a dozen 
heel hooks on his own record. Yep. So that was just one of those things. Um, it was and it was great to see. And I love that one's giving Mikey that platform to bring awareness to the mental health issues. And I'm so happy that he feels comfortable being so public about it with yeah. the platform. No, yeah. me too, hundred percent. And like even when he was given his post fight, I mean, um, to me, I could see, you know, these huge bags under his eyes, usually a sign of, like, not sleep, not mm-hmm. great overall, you know, yeah. health. So, yeah, he looked like he was really in a spot. Sometimes when I see stuff like that, and because it's the fight game and because there's been so – there's so much theatrics around the fight game, I get a little um, hesitant about, you know, is this a work? Is this, a, is this you know, a shoot kind of thing? Right. Um, is this real? And, um, you know, I think that everything that I've seen from uh, Mikey has been genuine, and I think he's 100% genuine in that. And, you know, um, more power to him, really. I mean, uh, especially being able to be such a star in only a submission grappling only sense. I mean, I I, I don't think I've ever seen that where somebody has been, you know, that well-liked and um, kind of like uh, getting so much admiration from the fight community when they're just a submission only grappling yeah. you know, kind of guy. Yeah. So I think that speaks volumes to that. And the only other thing I really want to talk about is great card. I don't want to say that there wasn't anything else to talk about. There was a lot of fight. Even the first fight of the night was fucking amazing, but I really want to talk about the Japanese beast, Hiroyuki yeah. Tatsuka. Yeah. Hiroyuki Tatsuka and um, being able to get a very dominant win over Jin Hao. And um, it was, uh, you know, um, I mean, I don't know what else more to say. The dude has always been known as being a more knockout, heavy-handed striker. Um, a lot of his wins have come that way. He showed it um, fighting Jin, um, you know, put it on him heavy. And also being, you know, severely undersized, really. I mean, he's five foot six, and his opponent was six foot, cosplaying <laughs> like Kazushi Sakuraba. <laughs> That's right. And, um, and, yeah, and so, and being able to... Not only put the power punches to him, but then being able to uh, get the submission win. And, I mean, it was, um, you know, uh, high-level submission. So, really looking out for that guy in the future. Look out for the Japanese beast. And just for some context here, five foot six at 185 pounds, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to leave that there. We can move on. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, all right. Then getting to the most recent, we had a UFC fight night, whatever the fuck number it was, and it was a main event, Edson Barbosa, fucking turning back the wheel of time with a spin kick, uh, fucking on Yusef, being able to get the unanimous decision. I thought Yusef looked really good, um, first round, put it on him, maybe blew out his gas tank a little too much, and, um, was kind of harder for him to weather the rest of the fight, but Edson looked really good, and, um... And yeah, so there yeah so there was a lot going on in this fight for me. Sadiq being um, really complimentary of Edson Barboza said you know he had grown up watching Edson Barboza was really happy that he got to meet him in the octagon. Felt like he had the right tools to beat him, and for the first two or three minutes of that first round, he absolutely did. He put the pressure on. He was walking forward. He put Edson Barboza on his back foot up against the cage, which is. Barbosa does not necessarily fight well there. That's true. And so he was taking away his best weapons. He was taking away his kicks, landed some good shots, had him in big trouble, but was unable to put him away. And for the rest of the rounds, Edson Barbosa was able to work his way back, work his way behind his jab and his kicks, and 
Sadiq's volume was not enough to threaten Edson for really the rest of that fight. Edson was able to take it over and um, win it on rounds. I had it four rounds to one Barbosa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. Um, yeah, really interesting. Um, the other thing that I noticed, not only uh, about this fight, but also the previous UFC fight night, was that both uh, Sadiq Youssef and Grant Dawson were heavy favorites yep. that lost. They also, though both came off of the contender series gotcha and um it was you know you we've been talking about it recently of this big push of these contender series guys now taking titles kind of taking over as the premier um up-and-coming talent Mm -hmm. in the um ufc and you know it's just maybe it's just not quite time yet like they're right there but you know being able to fight some of these older veterans um bobby green Edson Barbosa, right, and you know, not being able to come up with the win, it's just, you know, maybe it's just not time. Um, but we're right there, and that was something that I noticed on both of them. Um, another thing that I really got to talk about with this fight card was the performance of Jonathan Martinez. Um, was able to just very tactfully and nastily take apart Adrian Yanez with the. Uh, leg kicks um over and over again um yeah those kind of fights are hard to watch um but at the same time hats off to adrian i mean he made it to the second round and just he couldn't you know stay supported on that leg but big kudos to jonathan martinez for going out there you see that even in fights where a guy will start taking apart the leg of the other guy like i was thinking about um with this fight coming up um was uh yawn versus Uncle Iev when they fought yeah. and how yeah. Jan was chopping at Uncle Iev's leg and had him in real big trouble and but then, then abandons it and then and then totally left alone and ends up losing the fight and let yeah. the other fighter come back into it so yeah kudos to Jonathan to finish it take him out that way um Adrian's a dog he'll be back but yeah that was that was the big performance that I took away from the card so it was it was a great performance for Martinez I had higher hopes for Adrian Jan as I know last season we had talked about even though he had lost a font we still expected him to show up and show out, but Martinez, and this is not his first TKO with leg kicks, though, is the thing. So not only does he stick to the game plan, but he's willing to follow all the way through until he gets to finish, even if it's just leg kicks. Like, I know it's not super pretty and maybe not super exciting, but if, if it's working, then you, you've got to you you gotta roll with it. you got to do it. From the from the, his southpaw stance, um, his back leg, the inside leg kick, was was devastating. It didn't. It wasn't like twenty were adding up. It was the, within the first three or four. You could tell it was compromised. And props to Yanis for sticking it out as long as he could. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, great card. So all that to be said, that will catch us up to this weekend, and we are moving to. But the thing about this weekend oh, man. is what exactly do we have in store for this weekend? Good Just God. when you think you know, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> thing. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Two ninety four has been completely rebuilt from the ground up. I know that's kind of an exaggeration, but um, main event, co-main event, both lost fighters. Yes. Okay. Um, so the first one I knew about was Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira's sparring at Shootbox, which they spar hard. Yep. Like they go, they go balls to the wall, mm-hmm. and he gets a cut. And, of course, because it's obviously not going to heal in time, mm-hmm. he can't fight. He has to pull out of the fight. So 
short notice, 10, 12 days. Yep. UFC's got to be calling around to see who they can get to step in for Charles Oliveira. What I find most interesting about this is they had a backup fight. They had Mateus Gamrot already oh, slated yeah. oh, to yeah, that's true. train, be in camp, and show up to make weight mm-hmm. should one of the fighters fall out. He is not the replacement fighter for this no. fight. <laughs> so, you, Are we uh, going to speculate why? Because I have some ideas. <laughs> I, I, I think we should. So it's going to be Alexander Volkanovsky. It is going to be a rematch. It's going to be a balls-to-the-wall fight. It's going to be awesome. But why is it not Gamera? Um, this fight is, it's where the location of this fight is. This fight is being held in Abu Dhabi. The powers of B at Abu Dhabi, um, you have to realize, um, I was going to say in that part of the world, but maybe in our part of the world isn't so different. Um, the country is really owned by one family or a couple of families, right? And them putting a lot of money on and bringing the UFC on and continuing to pay the UFC and not just the UFC, but big boxing match coming up a couple weekends is going to be there. A lot of sporting events now are starting to happen out of there. Um, They are at the table for what is going to happen. And when we're talking about the main event, it's a big deal. So when they bring up, okay, well, we could put Gamrod in, and they're like, who? Yeah. That's when it's like, okay, the UFC needs to figure out who else could replace this to save this card for – you know, the money interests that are, that are there that are, you know, um, and so I know that they talked to Dustin Poirier and Dustin Poirier said that he said, yes, it ended up being Volkanovsky because what is bigger than a rematch of champion versus champion where it wasn't that long ago. And a lot of people thought that Volkanovsky may have won, you know, a lot of people thought that, you know, so, so yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense from that whole standpoint, but you're right. We're getting even further away from, you know, the, you know, the sport and, and what it's supposed to be and the rest of it. I mean, why even have backup fighters and pay backup fighters <laughs> if they're not even going to do it yeah. to be able to be used yeah. if when they need to be used and utilized? It's just, yeah. I mean, but yeah, but but that's that's part of the whole world that we live in, I guess. So. And and it's it's not and it's not like we're not getting a good fight. Right. Because. Alexander Volkanovsky, Islam Makachev. We know it's a good fight. We, I mean, we've already seen it. Yeah. Which is, again, part of the problem. You know, my feelings on rematches, I'm not super for them. I like when they come years down the road with multiple fighters getting um, some growth, some period of, you yep. know, different different fighters in there. And, and the problem, again, is Islam was going to rematch Oliveira anyway. So either way, he's stuck with the rematch. Somebody right. he's already fought. Right. So you can do with that what you will. But Gamrot would have been the fresh matchup. Um, but he's not going to get the call. Hopefully he doesn't get screwed over and he gets either a title eliminator his next out or 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 something because I feel like he deserves it. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Um, I don't know. I'm not the biggest Gamrot fan. So to me, if you're asking me personally which fight I would rather see, I would rather see Islam versus Volk or Islam versus Poirier than see Islam versus well, Gamera. I'm not the biggest Bilal Muhammad fan either, but you win a bunch of fights in your division, it's, that's what you should be doing. Is he? Is he getting a title shot? I don't know if he's getting a title <laughs> no, shot. No, he's not going to. I'm just saying he probably should is my only point. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, okay, but then after that, disaster strikes again. Paulo Costa pulls out, and this is what's funny is because Costa always pulls out. 
<laughs> like this, and and there's a million and one reasons why he pulls out of fights. It's funny, like you you can't make weight, or even when he does pause. show up, they got to pause. Okay. What? <laughs> no, no, you said you said he pulled out, and I was just like, Dude, we got pause on that. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> but no, this exactly. one seems a little bit legitimate. Okay. Um, he had an issue. Uh, with surgery on his elbow, it's he's got a really bad staph infection. He's not healing. He's not coming back from it. So they have to go in. They have to clean up the staph. Either way, he can't go in and fight Kamsat Shemaev, which is a fight I was really excited about. Um, there's a lot of backstory there. There's bad blood. They've approached each other in training sessions in each other's gyms yep. and talked a lot of shit. There's been the Twitter beefs. Yep. Like everything everyone wants in fights nowadays, right? It was, it was there. So it's a bummer to not be able to see that. So they go out, and, and when I first heard about this, I was hoping they were going to grab, like, a Jared Cannonier or somebody like that to step in. I thought that would have been a good fight. But when I heard it was Kamaru Usman mm-hmm. coming up from 170 on 10 days' notice, mm-hmm. coming off of two losses to fight, I was less than thrilled. Um, Yeah. I really thought that I was interested to see Costa versus Chimaev. Because Costa is a legitimate middleweight. Yeah. And, well, uh, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And I want to see what Chimaev looks like against a legitimate middleweight. Agreed. I know he's fought other guys that were middleweights from before. But really, if you're going to take this guy and automatically put him in the top 10, not even at the top five of the division, I really want to see what he looks like against those guys that are in the top 10 or the top five of that division, you know, to see if it's, if it's legitimate or not. Um, and so I was interested to see it. I really believe that Hamza would be a heavy favorite, um, against Costa just because, you know, once again, um, I think that there's way more ways for Hamza to win that fight versus Costa. And Costa is one of those guys that, um, you know, he's not like mentally like the strongest individual. And if you can get in his head, you can get him to like not even doesn't be have, there. Doesn't have super yeah. high fight IQ. Yeah, like, and might not. backs out of a lot of fights. All those right. kinds of things. I'm not trying to yeah. like spread any kind of shade on him. I'm just saying these are what I, the things that I see from him. And so I was interested to see that fight. Then they put in Kamaru Usman versus uh, Hamzat, and um, I mean I'm interested to see it. It really is kind of circusy. You have. Number one at welterweight versus number four at welterweight, and the winner gets a middleweight title shot yeah. over you know once again other people that are way more legitimate and have right. been carving right. out their path. Um, and so yeah, and so to me, it's one of those things where it's just like I don't know. I I I I guess that all things to be considered. Once again. I'm still thinking that Hamzat is the favorite in this um, just because Usman has had two performances, one where he got knocked out, another one where he didn't really seem like he was the Usman of old when he had the rematch. And, um, you know, he's getting older. There's all this talk about his knees and how bad um, his knees are. And And then the open workout, I mean, it sounds like he goes for a takedown and stops his open workout, and it was Justin Gaethje, so not, again, not like he's lifting another middleweight, and uh, immediately ends the open workout, and the rumor is somebody can hear him say, I heard it pop, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, nobody knows if he's talking back, no one knows if he's talking knee, but, you know, and Kamaru Usman has already publicly said that his knees are shot. Yep. 
you know, no cartilage left in there. He wrestled for too long. He's put his body under too much, stre- you know, strenuous activity. So, yeah, again, this, these are all reasons why I'm not thrilled for this fight. You know, Kamzat Shumayev getting a win over Costa would have kind of legitimized any kind of title shot he was going to get. Yep. And and I and I completely agree with you. I wanted to see him against a bigger guy, yep. a guy who's a legitimate middleweight. Costa yep. is such a legit middleweight, he's almost a light heavyweight. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. And that's why I was hoping Cannoneer would be one of those guys coming there because you know he wants another title shot. He's huge. This is a guy that came down from heavyweight. That's made it out of middleweight. Like, he's just a big bruiser. These are the kind of guys I wanted to see Chimaev get a shot at and see where he's at because he's going to end up winning this fight. He's going to end up getting a title shot after not having beat anybody at middleweight yep. in like even ranked. Yeah. yeah. Literally he, without even finding a ranked middleweight opponent. No, I a hundred percent agree. Um, once again, that seems to be the, the, the world of UFC that we live in today. And the reason why this is a problem <clears throat> Because everyone's like, well, if he beats the champion, then that makes it, that legitimizes it, right? But it doesn't. Because anybody on any given night can beat anybody else in a given night. Especially the whole the point is whether or not you can run the gauntlet of everybody else in the division before earning your title shot. Yep. Because everybody else at middleweight is doing that. And if we're, yeah, because if we're not doing that, then why is it that 95% of the fighters have to do that? And then there's 5% that don't, and they can just take title shots whenever they want to. It's just like, yeah. I mean, shouldn't we just do that? Shouldn't it just go back to, like, <clears throat> the Pride days where you didn't know who was going to be fighting? Like, you knew, <laughs> right, exactly. you knew that, like, so-and-so was going to be defending their belt, but you don't know who the fuck it's yeah. going to be. Yeah. I mean, at least then it makes it more fun for the, the fans and stuff because for all of us watching and seeing these guys, you know, put together win streaks and yeah. beat beat competition and, and do that to be able to, you know, work your way up to the title shot to then – not get it, you know, in the Gamrot, uh, you know, um, in the way that Gamrot has or Muhammad or a lot of these other guys, then it really makes you question like, well, what is it that we're really doing here with all that? You know, it's just like, yeah, I mean, so definitely favor Hamzad in the fight. Um, what about with Volkanovsky now taking on Islam? Where does that leave our boy Ilya Taporia because that's no, that's a good question. Because they were supposed to, the word was that that was going to be the January. It was, main event. it was, it, it was, it was signed. It was planned. Um, Volkanovsky was, was all about it. Taporia is a legitimate contender. He deserves it. Um, so it does, it kind of leaves him out in the wind right now. He doesn't have an opponent. He was looking forward to a fight in January. Yep. I don't even know if they're looking to book somebody else for him. Who would you get? You know, not that there aren't other contenders Holloway. in there. I am not happy about that. I know. I know you, I know you <laughs> wouldn't be. But I don't know who else you could really give him. You know, Brian Ortega. Or, you know, there's there are other people at the top of 145 that could handle this assignment and still be good and legitimate wins for Ilya Topiria. So, yeah, I mean, they could be legitimate wins, but... Also, this is a guy who is shooed in for a title shot. So it's like, if you're not going to give him the title shot, who else is the, who's the next closest to okay. getting the title shot? So you're going to give Holloway a title shot when he beats the shit out of Ilya Tapiria? This is the problem that we have. Give him Arnold <laughs> Allen. Give him, you know, um, I can never remember this guy's name. And not because he isn't an awesome fighter. He just he looks like some other fighters. And so I can't remember which one it is. Is it 
Um, Calvin, I can't. Calvin Cater. Calvin Cater. Okay. Right. Was would be another guy. But but what what's happened is when you put Max Holloway up against somebody who's coming up for the 145 pound belt, Holloway is destroying contenders. Yeah. Holloway is taking people on five, six, seven fight win streaks and sending them right back down to the bottom. 100%. And I would argue that that makes the Ilya fight that much more interesting because if Ilya can take apart Holloway... He can't. He can't? No. I'm just saying. People it, thought Arnold Allen could do it or that he would wrestle him. It didn't happen. People thought Calvin Cater was a really good boxer and he was going to do it. It didn't happen. People thought Yair Rodriguez was going to do it because he can kick and he's really extri- you know, creative striker, really exciting. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Like... It's not how this goes. <laughs> I, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I also know, though, that people thought that Sean Strickland was going to get murdered by Israel Adesanya. Okay? <laughs> okay? And so because of that, my thought is, like, if he did fight Holloway, I think that, you know, if he beats Holloway, it totally gives him, like, he has to be, he has to be the next person to fight for the title. And if Holloway can beat Taporia, then, like, give Holloway another title shot. What do we have to lose? Not, he's going to lose again? Because Holloway's already done enough for another title shot. The problem is nobody in the UFC brass wants to give Holloway another title shot. I know. So it's like, here, here's a fight with everything to lose and nothing to gain. And props to Matt for, or to Max Holloway for taking all these fights, but he just keeps beating the shit out of these guys. I, I agree. I agree. But that's what I'm saying. If he takes, if he dispatches another guy at the very top, especially Tepori, who is right there, he's the next guy in line. If he If he takes him out too... Then it's like, how do you deny Holloway? How do you deny him another shot? Okay, well, he beat in succession Yair Rodriguez, Calvin Cater, and um, I, I, Allen and Arnold Arnold Allen, all young up and coming fighters, all on huge win streaks. Agree. So why does he not already deserve another title shot? Because you have somebody like Temporia that's there to take that surge up. It's not because of that. It's because he's 0-3 against Volkanovski. No, no, exactly. But they're both, right? They're both things. Because he's 0-3 against him and because Temporia is raging up. But if he takes him out too, I mean, dude, you've dispatched everybody else. There's nobody else for Alexander to fight. And Alex could Alex could very well drop the belt and go up and wait, which he's been talking about. And then Holloway can, you know, fight yeah. for the title again. Well, that's the thing. I don't... I don't want him to keep. I don't want. I love Max Holloway. He's one of my favorite yeah. fighters of yeah. all time. I don't want him to keep taking out contenders. I want Volkanovski to be able to have contenders that have built towards something, not somebody on a one fight win streak because they only got one legitimate win since they had their ass kicked by Holloway. Like, don't like that. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I I get what you're saying. I do. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, part of it is just the business model that the way the <sighs> UFC does things. Um, if you know. If they stuck to the structure of, you know, the number one fights for the title and the rest of it, we probably wouldn't be in this position. But because we have and because gotcha. other scenarios happen, um, it would be interesting to see what happens. That, to All me, right. is the only fight that I would want to see Ilya risk it to take it to take on someone else. I don't know how he would do in the Volkanovski fight, but I think that he's done enough that I am ready to see what he would do in the Volkanovski fight. Yeah. So I don't want, I wouldn't want him to lose that to anybody else, especially anybody else that's already lost. Cause everybody else that's right there in the top has lost to Max Holloway. You know yeah, what I'm but saying? They haven't lost to Volkanovski. Well, exactly. But like, but all those guys have just recently lost to Holloway. Yes. So if he's yes, going to take another fight, that's the fight I want to see. Tempore. Are you really ready? Can you beat Holloway? I don't know. So, 
I, I know you know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. So so yeah. So we have so we have an interesting card to say the least. There's a lot of other good fights on here. Um, we're gonna talk probably more about it later on. We get to the betting thing. Is there anything that really stands out to you that um, you know, that you wanted to discuss now? Hold no, on to? no, it's okay. no. Like I said, great card. Um, should be awesome. Cool. Um, then we will move on to the next topic, which is R.I.P. USADA. So USADA and their contract with the UFC is going to come to an end here at the end of this year. Um, I feel like we need to do a timeline of events here for, <laughs> for context. By, by all for means. Context. By all means. <clears throat> so back in May, in yeah. June, okay. the UFC and USADA were getting together, having meetings, and um, had decided to continue beyond 2024 into the future. Everybody liked what everybody was doing. Everybody liked what everybody was saying. Things were copacetic. You know, everyone everyone's happy. And then, um, a couple weeks ago, Conor McGregor decides to finally submit his paperwork to mm-hmm. be tested by USADA mm-hmm. so that he can be in the testing pool for six months mm-hmm. before being sanctioned to fight, which is the rule. Now, USADA has made exemptions yes on this before a couple of uh pro quotes a couple of exactly quid pro quotes is exactly what that would be the problem is is that they didn't turn out looking really good for usada or the (laughs) ufc really because how many how many different you know the peds did brock lesnar test positive for after they give him the exemption and then he fought i feel like we need a clip of mark hunt right (laughs) (laughs) seriously so, I mean, he pops for for everything. And they're like, okay, well, so maybe we don't do that. Maybe we don't give these guys exemptions. Maybe it's important to have them test for six months before giving them a fight. Since they've been out of the testing pool for so long, you know, that might not be a bad idea. So, after that happens, there's a conversation between USADA and Dana White or whatever UFC brass were present, where I'm sure that they said, they weren't giving McGregor an exemption <laughs> and that it was going to be six months. And now here we are. Everybody hates everybody. Everybody's a piece of shit. And UFC will no longer be partnered with USADA as of January. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Um, obviously, um, we're not part of the discussions that happened backstage all of what you said is 100 percent, and i do agree with you you know it's funny before we did the show we were kind of talking a little bit about it and you were like you had said something because in my mind i'm like this is how i'm looking at it i'm like okay connor puts in his puts in um his notice that he wants to get back into the testing pool right gives him about six months six months is about march um, you know, the end of March, beginning of April of next year. Yeah. Also at that time is UFC 300. Mm-hmm. And everybody's been talking about, well, that's why he's going to come back because they're going to put him on the UFC 300 card. Makes sense. M- makes sense, sense to me too. Yeah. So then when all this happens and you saw it, because also the, the context behind this was that um, once the UFC came out and said that they were no longer going to be partners with USADA, um, some you know, major um, position holder, I don't know, CFO, C- CEO, some kind of dude, um, for USADA came out and started 
throwing lots of shade on yeah. the UFC and yeah. uh, full scorched the earth and <laughs> yeah, uh, was saying that it was uh, this was all built this was all because of Conor McGregor um, trying to get exemption exemptions and that they weren't going to do it and that the UFC you know um, he went full tilt. Um, I didn't get to read all of it, but I do know that he talked about how much the fighters are underpaid. He went into, oh um, yeah, um, kind of behind the scenes, pulled the veil back. I mean, there was a lot that went into it that was, um, you know, so much so that the UFC had to have an impromptu press conference um, with Hunter Campbell, Jeff Novinsky, and the press yeah. to be like, this guy has totally lost it. He's off his rocker. He we we do thirty percent of their business, and he's losing his business, and that's why he would go out and say all this, when everything he's saying is already stuff that is, you know, to us and to a lot of other people that are you know around the sport, in the sport, the rest of it. None of this is news to us. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's funny because I watched the entire press conference. I don't know if you did um, with those no. guys, and I watched the entire press conference and. It was funny because they first a lot of a lot of times if you want to know like the truth behind things, it's not what people are saying, it's how they say it, right? Yeah. And um they proceed to start this press conference and they're like, Look, we're not gonna stoop down and get into the same level that that guy was. We're not gonna, you know, throw a bunch of shade on him and do that. And then they proceeded for an hour and 45 minutes to throw shade on the dude and consistently do that when they were, (laughs) it was funny because the whole time they were talking about how like unhinged was their word that they used for this guy. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all I'm, I'm, you know, my, my best guess is the latter, but I'm just saying they're asking, you know, they're saying all this stuff about how this guy is just going off and trying to do this and how he's, you know, crazy or what, or whatnot. And then one of the journalists asked him the question that I was thinking the whole time. And he was like, so with the whole Mark Hunt thing that happened and you guys gave an exemption and all that, you know, how, cause they kept saying, no, we're not doing that. Nobody gets an exemption, the rest of it. And then the UFC was like, we're going to handle those kinds of things on a case by case basis. And then automatically went back to burying the dude. Yeah. Which only adds further, um, validation to what everybody's saying to the little conor mcgregor thing and the fact that they had to go out there with this press conference and be like conor's so hurt by this he's the most tested guy in the ufc and maybe he is okay but at the same time but at the, i don't know but at the same time there's a lot of you know the ufc's dirt that they try to shove under the rug over and over again we talk about a lot of this on the show and so none of this is news to us and um and yeah, I guess you, you're going to have to kind of make up your own mind of where you see where all this is happening. I think time is a good indication of that, and we'll see what happens. A big thing that I did notice, though, is that the UFC is changing up their model, right? So it's not just that they're getting a different company to do the drug testing. The company that they're using is a company that goes and gets the samples, and they they test the samples, but that's not what they do. They're more for like making sure of getting the samples right and then transferring them to right. somebody else to do it, right? right. Where you saw it as this over-branching, um, you know, Olympic-style committee that goes and gets the samples, tests them all themselves, does, you know, hands out punishments based on that. They are, you know, that's their whole business model. This new 
group that they're using is mainly just for going and securing the samples and then transferring them to where they need to go. Exactly. And that... So who's going to own the actual testing process? and, And, I mean, yeah, they can pay them to do it, but that's not necessarily what they do. The thing is that that registered the light in my head when you had said that earlier about this is totally sounds like something that Dana White would do when he got mad. It's like, okay, we're having problems with this company that we're paying to do this. Why don't we just home source as much of this as we can ourselves? Yeah. And so, and that's exactly what this new company would be that they would be paying them to do that. And they were like, the UFC was, you know, at this, at that same press conference was talking about, Oh, the, the fighters are going to have a lot more, you know, um, independentness. It's not going to be so like, uh, you know, harsh that, you know, like USADA was and the rest of it. And it's like, yeah, because USADA has a certain like standard that yes. they're trying to keep yes. that, that, that has to over branch with other sports and other organizations that the Olympics and the rest of it, whereas these guys are for securing, you know, the actual samples. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense to me that it, very well is sounds like something that Dana White would do when he would get pissed off (laughs) and 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 so and the rest of it and um definitely sounds like something Connor would take advantage of it definitely from what the guy that you know was speaking for USADA was saying all of what he was saying about the UFC from the fighter pay to them wanting special exemptions for privileged fighters and the rest of it none of that sounds out of the you know unrealistic or even out of the norm and so um could it be all the things combined? Yes. Could you know? It, it's it's a very messy situation. I think that I think one of the biggest things to take away from it is that this has happened with a sudden urgency. Yeah. And so if it was something that was going to be planned, you think that they would have already talked about it. Like, okay, this is going to happen, and you know, going moving forward, and they could come out now and be like, oh, this was something that was going to happen. We were already, and they kind of said that shit. But if that was the case, then why wasn't all of that together? And then even when they did the press conference, they were like, look, we're just figuring out this transition now. More is going to come as it, as it unfolds later because of the urgency. Yeah. So that's once again, it's not what they're saying. It's more about the actions that are being taken. Exactly. I think it shows a lot of exactly. that. Exactly. No, I, I think you hit on so many, so many good points there. And the last thing, at least for me, that I want as a fan is for the UFC now to be picking and choosing who's getting tested when who's not getting tested, who's getting free passes and exemptions and yeah. And, and we're no longer going to know about it. And if a certain fighter pops for something and it's going to throw the whole card into jeopardy, there is not another regulatory body that oversees it, that then makes those decisions. Exactly. It is left to the UFC to do Mm -hmm. it. So when they say the fighters have more, you know, independence, around this we will see moving forward (laughs) how much independence they really have here's my thing with the whole thing i just gotta say it this whole fucking drug testing thing is ridiculous i'm i'm fucking telling you it's so ridiculous here 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 here's my viewpoint obviously we don't want people getting fucking juiced out of the gills and fucking going in there like fucking crazy and and you know abusing it right i see there's a legitimate uh point to that conversation the other thing is like these are advancements that we've made in science. If we have these advancements that science. are if we have these advancements <laughs> that are made in science and people want to take shave off oh, years of their life man. to then, you know, go full tilt and go crazy with it. <sighs> I I just you know what I'm saying? I'm I'm of the mind of 
self-governance is the biggest policy and the rest of it. I grew up in the Pride era. We got to see a lot of phenomenal fights in that era because of it. This is this is a tough That's what I'm this is, no, this is a tough discussion to have, okay? Um bottom line is it fair? Is it fair for somebody that doesn't want to shave those years off, wants to compete on a longer timeline and never ends up getting as far as he could because like you said everybody else is juiced to the gills cuz they don't care that's true right so is is it fair i mean i'm not saying one way or the other just a question i'm presenting the other side of this for me is it's really hard for me to try and champion fighters rights and fighters unions and you know making sure we're taking care of fighters as they age because of what the sport has done to them and then in the same breath be like go ahead and take whatever the fuck you want and get <laughs> jacked up and you know and ruin your your body and your endocrine system and your hormone levels like yeah no no that no there's that's definitely a good um that's a good point to make up i think that no matter what whether they're taking a bunch of extra special s- supplements or not these fighters are breaking their bodies down in the training camps, in the fights. They're holding a lot of damage. And so I, I think we need to take care of these guys moving forward. I think that they need to be pay, paid fairly for their composition. I think all of that is 100% um, in line with all of that. I think that as far as what you're talking about, you, you know, it's a good point as far as if it, you know we want it to be fair, how can it be fair for the people that don't want to? And, you know, like um, bodybuilding has that sort of scenario where they have the, you know, sort of the open door policy and then the guys that are just natural. Right. And, and, you know, combat sports could do something like that. You know, maybe there's a promotion that's just natural and there's a promotion where it's just and you could do whatever. You know, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so, yeah. And so uh, that's uh, that's more along the line um, of where I'm coming from at it. But at the same time. Where we're at today in this world with everything going on, the whole USADA thing, this whole drama fiasco, all of this is just going to continue to happen. I'm, uh, whether or not it's around drug testing, whether or not it's around fighter pay, whether or not it's around <laughs> whatever the fuck it has to do with the UFC, because <clears throat> as the UFC continues to grow and continues to make more money, it's only going to end up coming back to these kinds of things of what's right, what's not, and, and trying to you know, n- navigate through these muddy waters. And so... Um, we will have many more discussions of this before we, it's over. We will. And we've already had a few. And because this is what we know for sure Dana White and the UFC are petty. <laughs> and you saw their pettiness knows no, <laughs> knows no bounds. Yeah. And you saw it pissed him off. Yes. This is what happens when you piss off Dana White personally or yeah. the company as a whole. This I, is literally I know. is what I happens. I know. Look at journalists. Look at <laughs> look know. at fighters. Yes. Look, at, look yes. at fighters that should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't yes. legends. Look at, I mean, this is nothing that's n- new. This is not new. So 100% and we will move on. Okay. Uh, right, on. On a better note, yeah. um, California has started legislation or started passing legislation or did pass legislation. One of the one of the three scenarios that has to do with MMA fighter retirement fund and has to do with, you know, fighters that are no longer in the sport need to be taken care of. Um, I think that it is a step in the right direction i'm really not the biggest person for um legislation being a solve for a lot of things Uh, but in this scenario it's not 
if you this there, I'm I'm not a fan fan of capitalism either. That doesn't matter. We're not gonna get into political things. Where are we I, going? I just where are we going with this? I just I just don't I don't want it to come off the wrong way. Okay, my this is my thing is that the the market and the sport is not doing enough to take care of this scenario right now. Right now, we're seeing legends, guys that built the sport off their back, going in and having to have slap fighting competitions after right. they've already been you know right. through the mill and. and have had to have uh, support to try to get some of their health benefits taken care of just to try to make enough money to continue to live exactly. while the rest of the sport balloons up and has way more money than exactly. it could possibly need. So, so because of this, I think it's very important. So, no, I, I completely agree. And for, and for some context, this isn't like a retired NFL player that blew his millions of dollars. Yes. Yeah. You know, these, these fighters are already not being paid. A ton of money. Yes. Right? And for the toll that this sport takes on your body, you're going to end up with some serious medical issues as well as high medical bills. Yeah. Right? So the ability to, you know, portion your money out over years, especially after, because it's, it's such a young man's sport. I mean, it's like, you know, they say professional sports, combat sports, and modeling all have this in common. Yep. Where you really you have such a short window to make as much as you can before you cannot make any more money in your in, in your chosen profession. And so you do have to be smart with it. But the one thing that the combat sports community doesn't have that those other two professions do is the amount of money that you can make from those. Yep. Right? So you so a lot of these fighters are ending up in horrible positions because of it. And and I agree with you about it shouldn't be up to the government and legislation to be taking care of this. Yep. But in the absence of all of that, something has to be done. Something has to be done, and, which is why we're here. Exactly. And, and my thing is that it's more of a strategic type of thing than it is necessarily as legislation thing. Because if you think about it, California enacts it, other States have to enact it. So that means that if, you know, promotions like the UFC want to come and hold fights in these exactly. areas. They have to get a sanctioned exactly. by the athletic commission board of the state. The state says, Oh, we have this retirement fund. You need to pay into it. Exactly. You need to be able to do whatever yeah. like that. So it kind of helps to do that. What it really does is it puts pressure back onto the promotion to be like, look, you need to pay these guys more money. You, yeah. the, these fighters need to have a say so in the overall, you know, um, uh, at the table of what happens because that's what happens in other sports and we don't need to take care of these other sports. So if you're not going to do it, then other pressure is going to put on you, yeah. not only from the news media, from the government bodies, from, you know, fighters, uh, former fighters, all the, all that. Yeah. Right. And so that, that's, that's more or less what it is. All of these other sports have players associations, which go to bat for them with legal issues, go to bat for them with health issues and go to bat for them in contractual issues with their promotion or their team or yeah. their league. Yep. Like, and that's something that needs to be involved in combat sports yep. so that these fighters aren't getting jerked around on their contracts yep. so that they are set up for once, you know, they're out of their prime and have to move on and do something else. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So I really do think it's a step in the right direction overall. Whenever we talk about legislation being a step in the right direction, that is a loaded it's, mouthful. It's but a, I just we got we got. I mean, I know it's a yeah. sentence you never thought you'd say. So but. yeah. So moving on, um, the uh, last thing that we want to talk about tonight is in um, round one at least. In round one is that <laughs> um, the baddest motherfucking sports event ever. Yes, that's what we want to talk. about. Yes. So picture that in your mind. What would the baddest motherfucking sports event of all time? include 
would it include a giant luminescent sphere in the middle of it would Vegas? To, it would have to, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. In my mind, it would have to be a one-night tournament of like all 16 top champions in the world. Oh, Everything's so on the line, God, and the last so man takes it all, yeah, right? Dude. That's my idea. Sick. Yeah, but... That's not the case. What we're talking about here, like <laughs> Will alluded to, is um, the Vegas Sphere, um, this new attraction that has opened up in Vegas. I'm sure most of you have seen the YouTube concert footage. Um, really remarkable um, structure, the way it's set up, the you know effects on not just the inside, the outside. Um, yeah. Really, just top notch and you know um, next level for yeah, event agreed. and arena viewing. And um, the UFC has talked about Dana White in particular. Our, our buddy has talked about um, wanting to have the baddest motherfucking sports event ever next year there for the next UFC Mexico card. Right, um, Mexican Independence Day. Yeah. A bunch of Mexican fighters on the card, um, which. It all sounds great. Yeah. I completely agree. They always put on great fights. These guys are warriors to the bone. Yep. Um, it sounds good. Hopefully, we can get a bunch of good names, have some Mexican champions in there. And, and yeah, because it would be in the Vegas sphere. Maybe, maybe it could be. Maybe it could be, like you said, next level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, I guess, how they would work it would be a big thing. Um, would the graphics that they have on the inside – would it be fighter graphics? Would it be UFC generated graphics? Would it be AI generated graphics? Would it be a replay of? Would it be like the camera of you know what's going on in the in the ring projected so that everybody in the audience can either look down into the uh, octagon or look up at everything that's happening? So it's this whole like you know. 5d experience of combat sports which sounds fucking amazing um i'm I'm, yeah the possibilities i'm i'm super intrigued yeah to see yeah where they decide to take it yeah that may be something we have to go to okay start looking at tickets now (laughs) we better start saving let's let's get in line (laughs) yeah yeah but i'm just saying no matter where you sit in that motherfucker you're gonna see some shit no shit so um but anyways um yeah it sounds it sounds really amazing. The ideas of what the possibilities of what could be are awesome. And, um, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait. A but you year. heard it from Dana. It's going to be the best motherfucking sports event of all time. Yeah. Yeah. So not World Cup soccer in Spain or <laughs> the Olympics or, <laughs> but no. Yeah. It'll be this. Yeah. So. Okay. And with that, we will end the round. All right. <sighs> Good. <clears throat> okay. Corner talk. I've got um, a lot of fan questions. I actually went back and forth on a lot of them. I kept updating the notes for <laughs> better questions would come in. So I had, I had a bunch. And some could be said for saved for later. Um, but one that really jumped out to me because it's it's talked about a lot. And it may not be something that everyone has the same idea about what it is mm, or what it even means when they hear it. Right. Um, so the question was posed, uh, what does it mean when you call someone a paper champion? So I'll let you go first to you. What does it mean to you <laughs> to me. when you uh, hear When you hear somebody referred to as a paper champion, what does that mean to you? What that means to me is that 
it is somebody who is technically the champion. It says that they are the champion on paper, um, but it leaves the feeling that maybe it's not. It, it, it gives me an idea that if you were to take the champion and hold them up, that on the surface you would see that they're the champion, but the legitimacy maybe of their title reign, if you turned it sideways, would be thin like paper. Um, <laughs> that's fucking brilliant. Um, that is about as literal as you can get. All right. Um, I don't know. That's what I think when I think about paper champions. Okay. It, 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 what it does is it brings up the suggestion that maybe this person that holds the title that is recognized as the best isn't. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's why, like I said, that's why this came back to me. Cause even, you know, online when I'm going through sports blogs and my main blogs, like, it's it's something I, I kept hearing and kept seeing referenced. And I could just tell from the context the context of the conversations it's being used in that maybe not everyone like maybe everyone has a, their a different own idea. idea of, yeah, of maybe what it they might do. Be. Yeah. And and the more I thought about it, the more I the more I became more unsure about <laughs> what what I, what I consider paper champion. It's like a fucking so, rabbit hole you go down depending on what we're meaning. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So for me, and this wasn't even something I first heard in MMA. You, you would hear it uh-huh. tossed around in boxing way yep. back in the day, yep. right? And my understanding, again, being from a little kid growing up with boxing and then, you know, transitioning to MMA and seeing the sport grow as it has, I've, I've used the term myself. And for me, it was when the, the person who is the champion didn't beat the champion, mm-hmm. right? So it, so it fits exactly into what you said, because there could be other reasons why the person who on paper is a champion isn't generally considered the champion Mm -hmm. maybe the champion didn't get beat for whatever reason because there was an injury and he's been out or he retired or or he's taking there could be or or like the tito ortiz scenario he's fighting the lesser competition and there's other guys that are fighting the top competition and another great example throughout history because there was that where Chuck Liddell was fighting all the legitimate All the killers, everybody at the and top. Tito was fighting the Evan Tanner. They were just bringing the... in people. They're like, you've never <laughs> heard know, of this guy, and he's fighting for the title. I know, and and you know, I'm a Tito fan, especially back in the day. But but yes, there was definitely some legitimacy concerns with that with that title reign. So he... it could be applied. Vanderlei to... beat him. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, there was. Uh, I mean, okay, so a couple of maybe more current examples. Um, might be uh, John Jones okay. at, at heavyweight because okay. Francis Ngannou is widely recognized as the heavyweight the champion. champion. He, 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 beat he beat the, the guy. He beat the yeah. guy. Yep. And and I and I actually did some homework on this. I went and started looking through lineal heavyweight UFC lineal heavyweight champions, and Stipe was the lineal UFC heavyweight champion. So that passed to Ngannou. Mm-hmm. Lineal being, regardless of belts, beat the guy who beat the guy, gotcha. going all the way back to the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so Ngannou has that credit to him and you know john jones waited until Ngannou was gone to make his move and so not only didn't fight um Ngannou, who was the previous champion but didn't even fight anybody who was a champion fought somebody coming off of a, a loss yeah I'm, you know yeah so uh, that could be construed as being a paper champion it could um and then the other one just one weight class underneath light heavyweight right you yep. have glover and um Jamal Hill, not not Jamal Hill, because it was Jiri Prozhatska. Okay, you know he wins that fight, he gets the belt, yep. but he suffers a major injury and has yep. to step out. Yep. And, and what he did was instead of waiting or having the interim, he relinquished the belt. Yep, said I'll come back and get it when I'm healed. Yep. Um. So then they did 
the Jean Blahoyevich and Magomed Ankalaev fight for the title, which ended <laughs> in a true. draw, which that's was true. one of the funniest. <laughs> I love how that came back to bite him in the ass because it ends up being a draw, so nobody gets it. And um, neither of them get a fight for the fucking title. And neither of them get a fight for the belt. And so that's why we had the Jamal Hill Glover Teixeira. Again, Glover Teixeira coming off of a loss, fighting for the belt. Jamal Hill, maybe not necessarily next in line, but still a good contender. Yeah. Won the fight. He gets the belt. And um, so he that would have been another paper champion. Because yeah. he, he ended up doing the same thing, yeah. but that would have been another paper champion scenario, at least in my mind. Yeah. And I guess gives legitimacy to the whole Yuri Alex for the title match since Yuri's in the pitcher. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because right. not only – because it's so, it's so much of a paper champion thing that now – you're like, well, shouldn't Jamal get to fight for the fucking? It's like, and and you'd like that because that's an intriguing matchup. Um, but he actually did win his fight, which was for the belt. However, now he's injured and he relinquished as well. So yeah, hopefully he'll get a shot when he comes back. But um, yeah. So you, so now we do have Jiri Projatska and Alex Pajeda mm-hmm. for, um. The vacant lightweight <laughs> <laughs> champion, although it was Jerry's and he never technically lost it. So, oh, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's funny because when you when you brought it up, I was like, we all know what a pair champion means. This isn't, but then the more we've discussed it, the more I'm like, I don't even know if I know what a pair <laughs> that's champion. That's exactly means. what happened to me. Is the more I saw it thrown around online, I was like, we may not all be on the same page <laughs> as far as what the fuck that means. Well, so. I think we've done a good job. There's a you know, historical and physical sense to the paper champion. Right. So, well, and but I like the one you brought up with Tito and, and Chuck Liddell because that is another one where, again, somebody has the belt on paper mm-hmm. but is not recognized as yeah. the best fighter in their division. Yeah. Even, right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Not fighting the best competition. Right. Cherry picking opponents. Exactly. Yeah. Doing exactly. the whole Mayweather thing. Yeah. yeah. So I know that didn't clear up anything for you guys, but. Awesome. Awesome question, though. <laughs> okay. I like whoever put that forward. All right. So, round two. We will get into it, uh, as always. <clears throat> Back to you, Mr. Will, with your... Uh... All right. The beginning of round two. The roster rewind. The fighter review. Let's do it. Um, Excited. Always always tough for me to bring something interesting to the <laughs> table for this it's, one. It's, yeah, it's always so much fun because, like, I don't know what it's going to be. Like, you know, like you always bring up, you know, like the first question and stuff and that's it. But like with the fighters, like I know that I'm going to know something, you know what I'm saying? Because like, yeah, so it's so it's always you've yeah. just been around so long. You know, all these guys fucking that, dinosaur. I'll, over here, I'll never bring something up that you don't know. But <laughs> um, OK, <clears throat> and I and this is another one I went back and forth on. I had like this, you know, three person round rob and I couldn't decide. <laughs> and I didn't even decide till today who it was actually going to be. So here we go. <clears throat> so the fighter rewind for season three, episode two, is Caro the Heat Parisian. Oh, okay. All okay. right. Okay. Yeah. So Caro the Heat um, doesn't fight anymore. It's from nope. back in the day. Yep. Former WEC champ. Oh, at, really? At welterweight. Oh, I didn't even Absolutely. realize that. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Exactly. Um, but this was the guy that put judo on the map yes. for MMA. That's exactly what and I thought. And this was a guy that... Even though I, you know, I've been watching since the early days of the UFC, and there were things I liked, but you generally saw the same things. You know, you always liked the matchups, the striker versus the grappler, and there was the jiu-jitsu guy, there was the wrestlers. You know, there was people with specializations, but what you never saw 
was somebody successfully transitioned judo yep. into co- combat sports. And when you finally saw a high-level practitioner like Carl Parisian bring judo into the cage, it was truly an exciting thing to watch. Yeah. Um, what I remember most about his fights is – he he did really well against a lot of wrestlers because wrestlers would like to clinch you, they'd like to get a hold of you, and they would get thrown. Yes, and and I'm and I yeah. mean thrown. Yeah, dumped on their heads, Ugh. hip tossed like nothing else. Yeah, and and it was such a beautiful thing to watch. And every time you'd watch these these lead ups, and and Carl was he's a good fighter in in his own right for other things, not just the judo. He he had a very good nickname, the Heat was very apt for him because he did. He put it on you. He had a lot of pressure. He great ground and pound, not great striking, but he had power. Yep. <clears throat> but he would just bring the heat. He would just hip toss you. He'd get on top of you and he'd just beat the ever-loving shit out of you or he'd try and submit you. Um, but every one of these wrestlers, every one of these times he fight, like, he's not going to do that judo shit on me. He can't do that judo <laughs> shit on me. And within the first 15 to 20 seconds of any fight, they would be on their head or on their back because yeah. they got fucking thrown by this guy. Yeah, exactly. And and a big part of that was the time, like you said, that was really the – not the beginning of the UFC because the UFC was already going, but it was the time when the UFC's legitimacy was really starting to take hold. That's like the first – beginning that's the first years of the ultimate fighter yeah was when he was around during that time period and the problem was was we were at a point where all of the you know martial arts were being forged into creating these mixed martial artists and every team had a idea of what the best right rem- about what the best formula was exactly is it the best combination yeah, is it mostly wrestling with some boxing is right. it some kickboxing with the and then so you'd see a lot of that kind of happen it depends on the camp that these fighters would come up from but then there'd be a certain pedigree from the camp and you could tell fighters at that time period the way that they would fight based on the yeah. camp that they were in exactly and um the reason i believe that you know, Caro was able to have so much success with his judo is because nobody was really bringing the judo part into that formula. Everybody thought, Hey, there are these other forms of martial arts that are way more beneficial, um, in many more areas. So we're not going to train that. We're not going to do that. And, um, yeah, uh, I mean that whole misguided, uh, you know, uh, reasoning is really what led to women MMA being in the being in the UFC, you know, because they didn't have they didn't also believe that judo was something that right. was really significant right. until Ronda Rousey came in, and yes. when she was dispatching everybody, everybody was like, "Oh shit, this judo thing <laughs> is guess, for real." Guess we should learn some fucking and, judo. And they had to relearn the <clears throat> lesson all over again. Um, Carl wasn't. He didn't have the level of success that, you know, that Ronda Rousey did, but also he was dealing with the sport being even more evolved um, at the time than women's MMA was when Ronda came in. You know what I'm saying? Agreed. We've seen a very, very fast evolution of women's MMA, um, you know, within the last 15, 20 years. Mm. And so, and so, yeah, but that whole same rationale is i believe what led to um women's mma being in the ufc and and judo holds a you know very significant role in the history of mixed martial arts as well so 
yeah, it's one of those things. If you don't learn the lesson, then you're going to have to repeat it over and over again. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so I first came to know Carl Parisian in his first UFC fight, UFC 44 against Dave Strasser, d- dumped him on his head, threw him all over the ring, got him in a Kimura, and submitted him. And it didn't even take him It took him under four minutes to throw him around the ring, get the Kimura, and submit him. Yep. And in his very in his second UFC fight ever, UFC 46, he had the bad luck to draw future UFC champion and Hall of Famer George St. Pierre. Uh, yeah. Which I think was George St. Pierre's first ever fight in the UFC. Okay. And I'm telling you, if it would have been anybody else, and, and he came pretty close to beating George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre got beat up. He got tossed, and he ended up. George Saint ends up winning a decision as George Saint Pierre tends to do. You know, Carl faded a little bit. He put a lot on him and hadn't gotten him out of there. And George Saint Pierre, being the fighter that we know that he is, yeah, um, smart, very talented, um, was able to grind out the decision at the end. Um, but after that, he goes on a tear. He wins the WEC belt um, off of Shoney Carter. Mm-hmm. Shoney Carter, wow, exactly yeah. right. Um, Goes and beats Nick Diaz. I remember that fight. Yeah, I remember that fight. Beats Chris Lytle. Beats Matt Serra. Damn. Beats Nick the Goat Thompson. I mean, these are these are names. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Chris Lytle, a guy who was good everywhere. Yep. Nick Diaz, champion in so many different organizations. For those Um, of you don't know, that's the big brother. That's that's the big brother. Um, the Nick Thompson, he ends up losing a decision to Diego Sanchez, which uh, I thought that okay. he won. Okay. Yeah. Well, Diego was kind of known for those. I agreed. Agreed. Um, but so I thought he won that Diego fight, um, beat Drew Fickett, Josh Berkman and Rio Chonin in succession. Damn. He did have a fucking he streak. He had a huge streak. He mm-hmm. was an incredible fighter. Yeah. And for someone to not have slick striking, yep. cause he didn't, but no. he had the power, yep. but he could just, con- he could control you. Yep. And, and you, you see a lot of these wall install. You see a lot of these, especially nowadays, you see these clinch battles up against the cage where nobody's winning and nobody can get this trip. This is where he owned people. Yes. Like when he locked up with you and you were clinch fighting up against cage, that's the last place you wanted to be. With Carl, because you would be flying. Yeah. And and these throws aren't just like these trip takedowns. Like, no. You literally go flying yeah. through the air. You're disoriented. You're you land on, on your head. head. Yeah. And 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 yeah. And then when it all came to a head was when he finally got matched up with Tiago Alves, mm. um, which was a title eliminator. He would have gotten a title shot had he beat Tiago Alves, and he was doing well until he got knocked out with a knee. And Al- Alves went to fight GSP. Alves went off to fight. Yep. GSP after that and. And didn't win. And then after that, unfortunately, um, Caro had some health issues. He had some back problems. He had some painkiller issues. And so that was pretty much the end of his illustrious career. But that stretch, man. That's yeah, that's remarkable. That, it it is. is. Especially at that time period. And I totally you know, agree. I, I know I've seen the D- Diego Sanchez fight. I don't really remember it. I sort of remember bits of it. Um, it was one of those things that back then they showed a lot of the same fights over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so I remember certain bits of it. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that he actually won that and they gave the decision to Diego. I felt like I remembered him fighting Melvin Gillard. Did he? Looking <clears throat> at his record right now, again, we've got Dong Hyun Kim, uh, Dennis Holman, which was a loss. John Gunderson, which was a loss. Rick Hahn. Oh, wow. 
Um, Phil Brony, Ron Kessler. I'm not seeing a Melvin Guyon. Right. Yeah, that must have been another timeline. But yeah. It was one of those alternative <laughs> timelines, yeah. So, no, but yeah, that that's great. Uh, great reason to bring him up. Um, once again, the real introduction of judo into the UFC. Really, judo into, you know, um, mixed martial arts. There were some guys, Dong Yoon Kim yeah. in Pride. Um, there were some other guys that had, you know, sort of made their way into, but not to the level of success that... Carl Parisian had um, another thing that I think about with Carl Parisian is um, his. I was waiting for this. His I, his yeah. rivalry with uh, Nate Diaz yep. off of uh, the <laughs> Ultimate Fighter. Yep. Um, and how funny that was because I remember watching that at the time, and Nate was this brand new guy coming in. He was Nick's little brother, and everybody looked at Nate as Nick's little brother, and. Um, Carl Parisian was trying to big brother Nate. He was trying to like, you know, sort of not push him around, but, you know, kind of put, you know, kind of like put his weight on him, kind of like, you know, josh no. around with him, kind of make fun of him, <clears throat> do that whole sort of thing. Yeah. So Manny Gambirian was the favorite to win that season. Which was his cousin. Which was his cousin, yes. which is why Carl's there yeah. because he's helping train because his cousin's on there. So, and and what's interesting is that ended up being – the final. The final yeah. for that season yeah. was Nate Diaz versus Manny, Manny Gambirian. Um, and Manny won. And, no. Oh, okay. No, he's, he <laughs> dislocated his shoulder. Oh, he did. That's true. It, yeah, TKO yeah. injuries yeah. have Nate won yeah. that. Yeah. But um, Nate probably would have beat him anyway, maybe. But but yeah, that was the whole. And it's even been memed I've seen where Carl's pulling the, do you, do you even know who I am? Yeah. Do you even know me? He's <laughs> like, like, ask your brother. Your brother knows who yeah. I am. <laughs> Nick Diaz definitely knew who the fuck he was. Yeah. Because he got the he got the crap beat out of him. But I but I agree. That's one of the fond memories I have from that season of the yeah. Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. That's one of those things that's kind of stuck around the you know, through time that I remember of Carl Parisian that was just like the last part of it or whatever. I rem- <laughs> I remember a lot of those throws. I remember a lot of them dumping people on those how because you because you didn't see it you didn't see other you didn't see it happen when other people fought because nobody was really utilizing that and how just the clinch game as soon as they would go for the clinch he would just turn his hips and flip them and they would just go straight onto oh, their yeah. head oh yeah and it was just it was so devastating um yeah. yeah and from there he would he would just work people over that was the yeah. thing because yeah. he'd always end up either in right and half guard or another dominant position and he'd just be working people over he had amazing ground and pound it mm-hmm. was it, it was great but yeah he was the guy that I was watching UFC, but you know a lot of the matchups had been done before. It didn't hold the excitement that it did for me at one time, and then Cooperation came on the scene, and I was seeing things I'd never seen before. Yeah, no, it's true, it's true. Yeah, and another and another reason why, once again, there are a lot of different martial arts. You know, there's many martial arts that still haven't had their uh, just do agreed into the agreed. world of MMA, and um, you know. A lot of those, if just find the right application and the right person to bring it in, um, can change the game. You know, right now I think a big part of it is what we're seeing is a lot of these, um, you know, point fighting karate guys making their um, entrance in. You're seeing a lot of that. I mean, within the last you know five ten years of the, and even further going forward, I think that um, that blitz style that a lot of them have, being able to get in and get out, um, 
can really be beneficial in MMA if done right. And so, and we've seen it with, um, you know, probably Stephen Thompson was like the first one of the first guys Leo to bring Tomichita. that in. Um, Leoto Machida, yeah, um, and even you know Michael Van and Page, um, right? So yeah, right. so there, you know, it, it's just one of those things where it's like there's a lot out there, and that's a beautiful thing to MMA is that. That's you know, why we love it. Yeah, just find the right application for it at the right time, and it can change the whole sport. So, yep, awesome, cool, cool. Um, for the one-on-one this week, what to watch for viewers to watch? Um, I want to bring up an event from January thirtieth, two thousand and ten. Oh, a blast from the past! So it's going back. It was a Strike Force event. It was called Strike Force Miami. And so for those of you that aren't familiar with Strike Force, Strike Force had a plethora of extremely talented fighters. They yes. were a great organization. They ended up being future champs. Future champs. They, well, so they ended up being bought out yeah. by UFC and yeah. then absolved. And some fighters they took, some fighters they didn't. But a lot of high ranking Strike Force fighters did very well in the UFC. Yeah. So the thing was, was at this time, the UFC was going through this transition where they were bringing on the Ultimate Fighter fighters, um, getting them exposure, trying to you know use a lot of them to be the new breeding ground for the UFC. So you didn't see a lot of other fighters coming from fight promotions in the UFC. You really had to come through the Ultimate Fighter at that time and get one of those really shitty contracts and then make your way in. That's why Strike Force did really well because yeah. if you didn't want to do that. You could go straight fight in Strike Force. Yeah. They had a lot of former names, former champions that were going and fighting there, um, and a lot of great talent um, that was being underutilized by the UFC. And so, what you ended up having was a lot of you know really awesome matchups, a lot of really great fighters that wouldn't have been if it was just left up to the UFC to do what they were doing. So, if we go back and we look at this, <laughs> dude, I'm if, looking at this. If we go back, if we go back and look at the yes, on here. yes, if we go back and look at this fight card. Um, the main event of this card was Nick Diaz versus Marius Zoromskis. Um, amazing fight, um, back and forth. Mario Zoromskis almost got Nate, uh, Nick Diaz. Did I say Nate before? I don't know. It was Nick Diaz. Okay. Yeah. So if I said it, whatever. So, uh, Marius almost got Nick out of there in the beginning, got pretty close to finish him at one point. With a head kick. Yes. Nick was able to weather the storm come back and finish Zoromskis in the, the first round. As the Diaz brothers tend to do. Yeah, and in classic Nick Diaz fashion in the first round, you think you fuck me, I fuck you. <laughs> and um, and so that was, you know, for the welterweight championship. Um, Chris Cyborg defended her title 13 against... 13 years ago, Chris Cyborg. Yes, man. was the champion and defended her title against... Um, Marlos Conan. Marlos Conan. Which... You got to give mad props to Marlos Conan because she lasted three and a half rounds. Yes, against yeah. Cyborg, and nobody was doing that at that time. No. she was laying bitches no. the fuck out. Back no, then, dude. exactly, exactly. Um, Herschel Walker uh, had a fight on that card, which is so Hall of Fame running back, by the way. Yeah, Herschel Walker at the yeah. age of like forty-five. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly. I know back he then. fought a nobody, but still. Yeah, and then he ended up, you know, having some more fights or fighting in Bellator. I don't remember he did yeah. something else after. Anyways, that didn't matter. The major reason I wanted to bring <laughs> up this fight. Uh, this card yes. wasn't even just because there's a lot of other great names on here. Hater Hassan, who had the um, 
you know, was in the Ultimate Fighter yep. against uh, Usman in the finals. Yep. He fought on this card. Jay Huron fought Joe Riggs. Yeah. Um, you know, still around the sport. There's a lot of great fighters on this card. Really need to go back and watch it. But the one fight that it fucking caught when I was watching the UFC the last um, this last weekend, and we were talking about that Jonathan Martinez performance of those leg kicks, mm-hmm. it, it got in my head, and I was like, man, if you guys haven't watched – Robbie Lawler versus Melvin Manhoff. You have to watch that fight. And Ch- that- Chances are you saw the highlight and you didn't <laughs> even know that you've seen this fight. Uh, it is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, comeback fight in mixed martial arts. Yeah. I mean, it is it is phenomenal. You have Melvin Manhoff, um, you know, future champion. Robbie Lawler, future UFC champion Robbie yeah. Lawler, had all, was probably already the elite XC champion or right about at that time, something like that. Yep. It, I'd have to go back and look at the timeline. But um, you had these two face off. Melvin Manhoff was a fucking destroyer. Um, he was Killer. elite level kickboxer. He fought heavyweights, was the size of Robbie Lawler and middleweight welterweight type guy. He fought, he fought everybody. He knocked out Mark Hunt. Yes, exactly. Um, and so these two met here on this card at strike force and, um, it was a one round fight, but the whole fight consisted of Melvin Manhoff kicking the ever loving shit out of Robbie Lawler's leg and just totally taking his leg apart kicking it almost like out yeah. of the ring it was fucking yeah nasty. no seriously i mean it was i mean it was getting hard to watch and you knew because this was the first round that robbie was in a really bad spot and yep. everybody knew yep. robbie was a game fighter yeah but nobody had seen to this point robbie be put in this position of sh- another striker coming in and just picking robbie apart like this yeah robbie had no answer for what melvin manhoff was doing to him yeah until he did. <laughs> Until he did. Until he caught him and he hit him with the perfect right hand at the perfect time and fucking finished him and then couldn't really even stand up afterwards. No, he no, he absolutely couldn't. And he lands the perfect one hitter quitter on Melvin Manhoff. And I kid you not, I'd have to go back and look at the stats, but I honestly think that's the only punch he throws in the entire fight. Yeah, if, yeah, exactly. And if not, it was the only punch that landed. No, it was definitely the only punch that landed. And you weren't even it's not even alliteration when you're saying these his legs flying out of the ring. Manhoff was kicking Robbie's leg so hard. It was like flying up to like waist shoulder level from the impact. Yeah. It was just above his head. It, yeah. It was just getting flung up every time it landed. And you could, t- and you could tell like he couldn't put weight on it. He couldn't plant. He couldn't move on it. He's back up against the cage. and He throws the hell Mary and fucking sleeps Manhoff, man. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing fight. Um, and especially when we move forward in the sport and these leg kicks are becoming so devastating anymore into the sport. Um, there were fighters that were bringing forth it, you know, yeah, 13, 12, 13 years yeah. ago. Um, and now, you know, if you still haven't got a chance to see this fight, do yourself a favor, go back and watch strike force Miami, January 30th, 2010. It's an amazing card. Yeah, it's a great. Card. And, um, it has a lot of parallels to today and where we're at in MMA. So, uh, awesome. Yeah. There yeah. You go. Awesome pick, man. All right. With that, we will move to corner talk. Number two. So, what you got? The question that I have picked this week is what are your guys' thoughts of the end of Showtime doing MMA and boxing? I think that's a great question. Um, very um, on timing with 
um, everything that's happened very recently has come out that Strike Force or Strike Force <laughs> that Showtime Sports rather um, is no longer. They will also like the USADA contract with the UFC be dissolving at the end of the year, which um, you know is a, in a lot of ways it's a really too bad thing. I think that both. I think that I know Showtime has Showtime Sports has had a major, major part to play in the world of MMA Absolutely. and where we are today. And the world of boxing. Yeah. Um, I mean, like we talked about before, Strike Force. That was something that, that was Showtime, Showtime yep. was able to put on. Mm-hmm. I remember the first Strike Force event um, being on Showtime that I watched. Um, but not only that, not only did they have Strike Force. And everything that Strike Force was able to bring to the UFC, all those champions that came, they had, um, you know, Showbox, which would profile up and coming boxers, and mm-hmm. they had the Strike Force Warriors sh- uh, show, which was where Kane Velasquez came up on, yep. Tyrone Woodley came up on, Bigfoot yeah. Silva came up on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the history of it is is. Uh, growing is going way back, and then also their boxing, um, you know, history. I mean, if you actually take a look at it, this last year, most, if not all, the major boxing fights that we've had have come from Strike Force or uh, from Showtime. Right. The Spence Crawford yep. fight that was on there. Um, you know, uh, Canelo's last fight. Um, mm-hmm. there's been you know, um, Strike Force. Jesus. <laughs> you can tell where my mind's at. Uh, that's, that's the only thing that matters to me in Strike Force. Um, no, um, but not only that, but then also more recently with Bellator. Okay. Yep. They have, um, yep. you know, uh, been the home for Bellator since Viacom acquired them. And um, so with, with Showtime Sports now going, um, so will Bellator. Yeah. Um, unless they sell it off or whatever ends up happening. Well, they were already purchased by PFL, so. Did they get purchased by PFL? Yeah. I knew there was talks of it. I didn't know that it was confirmed. Yeah, I I, I think it has been confirmed. So, again, if if, they're, if if the PFL doesn't provide a platform for Bellator to be a competing organization, you would assume they would just absolve the fighters in their contracts. Yeah, and, pick and right. choose. But I, but I completely agree. It's, it is it is really sad. It's the end of an era. Yep. That Showtime Sports era was, was, was awesome. So many great memories, not – I mean, I'm not gonna echo everything you just said. Not just the awesome Strike Force cards that they would put on that you'd get to see without having to pay for a pay per view, but boxing. Yeah. You know, like I had so many great boxing memories watching Showtime Sports, and um, yeah. So I, I'm bummed. I didn't see it coming, like because, like you said, because they were still putting on so many great. I know. High name. I like, know. High value. Yeah. Boxing they probably made that, the most money this year that they have in the last ten right. years. Yeah. You know, um, and, and yeah, and, you know, also, like we were talking about with boxing, when I was growing up, boxing, most of it was came up on HBO. HBO right. was yep. the, like, home of boxing. Mm-hmm. So the only other TV channel, the only other way for anybody to watch it, because back then that's... All you had before we had the internet was you had TV channels. channels. You actually had TV channels. You had to change it the sometimes o- physically. Yeah, the only <laughs> the, the only fucking the only way to watch it, um, any other boxing was from Showtime, and so Showtime offered that. I mean, besides 
ESPN had those Friday fights, but they were always like, you know, um, up and comers trying to get names or whatever. If you wanted to see the elite level, you had to watch HBO or Showtime, you know, for boxing. Um, and then they ended up giving another foothold to MMA. So they've always provided that almost, you know, secondary source Mm -hmm. for combat sports. And, um, and, and yeah, it is really a travesty that it will not be there anymore. Um, there will be a hole or vacuum that will need to be filled, and we will see how that will transition moving forward for yeah. not only MMA but for boxing as well. Um, and those ripples will probably echo on um, in the combat sports for who knows how long. I know. Sad day. So, um, yeah, so I guess if, as far as the question goes, what are your thoughts? Is that it is it is sad, and that I hope that I hope that whatever ends up happening with the transition of all those fighters, the fighters, the, the boxers, the big name boxers are going to be all right. They'll be fine. Yeah, they'll yeah. go to uh, you know um, to either HBO. I don't know some of them don't have you know Triller. Yeah, Triller. Uh, <laughs> what is it? PBC. Um, PBC. Does, yeah, the zone. Does yeah, a bunch. yeah. There's yeah other spots for them. Um, the MMA guys, like you said, um, they did a, if they did a deal with PFL, then you'll see them there. And if not, maybe they'll resurface and you know Ryzen or One or who right. knows whatever you know. Yeah. Um, maybe even see some of them in the UFC. I mean, if their contracts, depending on how that whole negotiation thing works out, I know that there are fighters that I'm sure the UFC would want, no matter what Dana White says publicly. So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Just just sad, man. <clears throat> yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Yep. I have to say about that. You know, what's funny is it makes me think about, like, the it's a corporate decision, right, for it to happen. And it sort of reminds me of um, the whole WCW, WWF thing when, right. um, you know, WCW was owned by um, – Turner Broadcasting, and then these corporate guys came in, and they like started messing it all up, and then they, and then it ended up going away and stuff. It's just I don't know. It's kind of funny how like things tend to repeat themselves in different forms in well, different when, areas. So when it, it it always will when the underlying theme hasn't changed, and the underlying theme being money, okay, in the entertainment industry, then you're gonna see a lot of that. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you took it all the way home there. So, <laughs> All right. Let's move right. on to round question, three. guys. Thanks. All right. Um, spotlight fights. So coming up this week, we have um, some pretty interesting fights. Some um, really good cards, some big cards. Yes. We um, have UFC 294. <clears throat> yep. We have UFC Fight Night, Almeida versus Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so we've talked about some of the fights before. Um, you know, what do uh, is there? What do you want to do? What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about? So anything? we'll start with Makachev versus versus Volkanovski, just because that's how time works. We'll go with the most the one coming up. So my spotlight fight <clears throat> was going to be Johnny Walker, Magomed Ankolaev. A um, couple of guys in the top ten. We've talked about Magomed Ankolaev. He has. Um, fought for the title and got a draw, so he didn't yep. get the belt. Yep. Um, he's you know one of those Dagestani wrestlers from Russia. He's he's a good fighter. He's 
the heavy favorite, as he should be. Yes. He's a more consistent fighter. Yes. He's very well-rounded. Yes. And really good fight IQ um, versus Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker is one of my favorite fighters, especially at light heavyweight. He's a very exciting fighter. I couldn't agree more. And you always get a knockout when Johnny Walker fights. <laughs> <laughs> whether, whether it's him it's, or someone else. <laughs> whether, whether he gets knocked out or whether he knocks out somebody else. Um, so if you felt like you wanted to – I'm not – this isn't my this isn't my bet pick just because of how inconsistent Johnny Walker can be. Yes. But Johnny Walker has finishes flying knee, spinning back elbows, um, punches punches while being attempted to be taken down. Like this guy, he's just, he's just got some unreal power. Mm-hmm. So if you were looking for – um, a, a live dog, it would be Johnny Walker. But that was my spotlight fight. I think this is going to be an interesting fight. Um, I can't wait to see how Johnny Walker handles the pressure and wrestling from Magomed Ankalaev. And I can't wait to see how Mag- Magomed handles the power of Johnny Walker if Johnny Walker gets the land. So. Yeah, now I just had to look up the odds since you were bringing that up. Um, Johnny Walker is a 275 underdog. It's yep. so almost 3 to 1. I know. And. Um, Uncle Iev is a 350 favorite. Yep. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> if that was something you were feeling froggy about, you might want to jump yeah. on. And I agree with those odds. Yes, I me think too. those are good odds. No, I'm me just, too, 100%. I'm just saying that Johnny Walker's one of those guys that pff, he might pull something crazy out of his ass and knock Magomed out. Yes, exactly. Um, the one fight that I would like to highlight on this card is uh, – guy that is also very exciting bruno silva is welcoming a uh one-eyed russian madman into one-eyed russian madman yes into the ufc this guy is um sahara magomedov and um (laughs) what yeah um if you have not (laughs) no i obviously don't know yeah if you have not seen um this guy and his record, um, he is a destroyer um, for only having one eye um, that he does. I mean, explain to me this one eye thing. Is it like Michael Bisping one eye? Um, no. Everybody knows he only has one eye. He his his one of his eyes is completely. It's a dead eye. It's a it's a complete dead eye. No shit. Yeah, and so um, he. I've seen this guy fight in um, other promotions coming up, and he is making his UFC debut. He is um, 11 and 0, I believe. Wow. Um, there is no way if you see f- uh, pictures of him even closer. There's no way that you can tell that he doesn't have that is that he only has one eye. He only has one eye. He has 11 wins. Um, out of those 11 wins, 10 of them are knockouts. One of them is wow. decision. There you go. Um, he may only be able to see out of one eye, but that's all he needs. Um, you know, looking at his last one. I'm so surprised. So is he, is it, are they um, ground and pound finishes? No. Standing finishes. Just straight. This is blowing my mind right yes. now because the reason why human beings have binocular vision is yes. for depth perception. Yes, I, I know. So you would think it would be difficult to land standing strikes with that kind of a disadvantage. I uh, know. No, he has... Um, you know, punch. He has knockouts from um, knees, punches, hook kicks, elbows. Wow. Knees to the body, wow. leg kicks. I mean, the guy is a fucking weapon. He is a weapon. He's coming in, and I think that matching him up against somebody who is as durable and tough as Bruno Silva Bruno tough, is dude. exactly what yeah. we need to see. And so that is my highlight 
fight. Okay, um, nice you job. are going to have to, for for those in the U.S., um, you're going to have to be up between 10 a.m. and 7 a.m., depending on where you live, to catch this fight. It's the very first the fight. Very first, so it's the early, the, early prelims. Yes, it's the very first fight. But um, that just speaks to the level of this card um, coming from Abu Dhabi. So uh, don't miss it. So okay. that that's my spotlight. Yeah. Get up early on Saturday. Don't sleep in. Put the yeah. coffee on. Watch the fights. <laughs> Make some breakfast and fucking watch some fucking <laughs> some bangers. Um, nice job. Yeah. I would have had no idea if you didn't bring that up. Nice yeah. job. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, also on the spotlight fights we're gonna talk about is the world's biggest boxing match that we can't wait for, which is which has flown relatively under the radar considering yes. how much publicity it got. When Ngannou decided to leave the UFC so he could get this fight. Yes. And nobody thought he'd ever get it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ngannou versus Tyson Fury. Um, it will be next weekend. Um, once again, the reason that I believe that it is flying under the radar is because, you know, Ngannou left the UFC and because he's the UFC's, his, you know, mixed martial arts career has been pretty much out of the UFC. The UFC is not giving any sort of light to this, to this thing. Um, and boxing really doesn't want to talk about it either. There was some footage of Ninganu doing some training with Tyson that didn't look, you know, like very good. Okay. Um, but it's hard to be able to tell what is being trained and mm-hmm. what, and what they want to show, um, you know, because that's another thing, too. The cameras are on them, so um, who knows? But, yeah, that aired, and after that, there was a big uproar from the Fury camp and the Fury family, and very soon after that, Tyson Fury versus Usyk was signed. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's kind of, you know, also puts this fight on the back burner. Even though this fight is happening gotcha. first, yeah. um, both the boxing world doesn't really seem to care about it, and now the MMA world, or a lot of it, isn't being highlighted. But all that to be said, I am very interested in this fight. I am very interested to see how it plays out. I think that um, you know Tyson Fury should have every you know chance of, and probably, not probably, but is definitely the favorite he should this is his fight really to lose um francis Ngannou has never had a pro boxing fight and for him to come in there and face he has one of the most legitimate champions agreed. in a long time agreed <clears throat> i have nothing but respect for fury's accomplishments in heavyweight boxing heavyweight always maybe not always but generally being one of the marquee divisions of boxing oh yeah and you know your favorite being mike tyson mm-hmm. You know, my favorite boxer probably being Lennox, Lennox Lewis. Yeah. Again, heavyweights like, you know, I like the De La Hoya. I like the lighter weight classes. But oh, yeah. but again, it's it's that marquee division, right? <clears throat> Tyson Fury coming in with his punching power probably has a, the puncher's chance, the proverbial puncher's chance, right? Um, <clears throat> but, you know, Tyson Fury's a hard puncher himself. Yeah. You know, he's a giant of a man. You know, I know. This is going to be the first time I've ever seen Ngannou not be the bigger person in yes. the ring. You know, yes. that's that's going to be interesting for me, first of all. Um, but yeah, I think um, Fury's fundamentals are sound enough that 
he should he should win this. Um, I I thought it was interesting that Fury's belt will not be on the line. Yep. So if Nagano should win, he doesn't all of a sudden become the, the heavyweight WBC champion. heavyweight boxing yeah. champion of the world. Um, it is going to be in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Yep. <clears throat> so a lot of money there too, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Francis Ngannou in the UFC is like 6'4", probably actually 6'5", because I've actually seen him in there. And, you know, 265. Yeah. And and Fury, 6'9". <laughs> yes. So, yeah. I mean, this is going to be, uh, I think it'll be entertaining. That's no, yes, no, exactly. Um, it is two mammoths of men that are going to fight. Um, what I am excited about is that if you had to take the most devastating power puncher in mixed martial arts, maybe ever, yeah, it would be Francis Ngannou. Yep. Um, there are clips which I love to hear whenever, um, you know, especially today, of Dana White talking about how. You know, Francis Ngannou is the most powerful puncher ever in the UFC, and that his punch is equivalent to being in a like fucking sixty mile an hour car crash <laughs> or whatever the fuck I it know. is, right? No, like, I yeah, yeah, I love it just because of the disdain now that he has for uh-huh. Francis Ngannou. But that is that is you know why I'm watching it. I don't know if Francis is going to be. I don't know if Tyson will put himself into a position to let Francis really get off with that right hook. Agreed. And that, or the overhand right. And that's what I am tuning in to see, to see how maybe either conventionally or unconventionally Nanganu and his team have prepared to try to get that to happen. Yeah. And how much Tyson either allows or doesn't allow that to happen. And if that happens, um, I mean, it could be more devastating than the uh, Brown Bomber or the Bronx Bomber, you know, putting his uh, right hand on uh, Fury and was able to, you know, put him down for the count, but he got back up. You know what I'm talking about? Deontay Wilder? I do. So that is enough for me to tune in and also to support Francis Ngannou. Got a lot of love for that guy. A lot of love for Francis Ngannou. Um, definitely happy to support him. I'm so happy he's getting exactly what he wanted. He gets his fight in boxing. He gets his payday and his respect over in the PFL. Hopefully, uh, we'll get to see him fight there soon after. And, yeah, just couldn't be happier for this guy. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, with that, we will move on to the bet portion. All right. So, we are, we are here with... Some solid, solidified, <laughs> vetted as, bets this week. As solid as the Alex Morono bet. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, Will, by all means, why don't you start us off? All right. So um, the fight, the, the weekend after 294, so, um, I mean, a couple weeks from where we're at right now, there's going to be a fight night with Gilton Alameda and Derek Lewis. Yes. Now, it was previously Curtis Blades, which was a matchup I liked a lot more, honestly. Um, Blades being the more well-rounded fighter, uh, being a perennial top five, top ten heavyweight. I liked 
I liked seeing Jalton Almeida move up. Curtis Blades has a very legitimate wrestling background. He he can strike. So I was interested to see how that matchup played out. So Curtis Blades no longer in. It's going to be Derek Lewis. <clears throat> and so maybe not as high on the ladder for Jalton Almeida. However, maybe even more dangerous. Mm. This is the guy who has the most knockouts in the UFC. Mm-hmm. He's been around forever. Mm-hmm. He has he has that power. Yeah, he's coming off of a flying knee knockout. He's coming off of a flying knee win. And he tends he, he just tends to knock people out. He tends to lose a little bit and then knock people out. Yeah. Like he's just one of those guys that you know, and, and even even when people take him down, he just seems to body his way back up. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of technique there. He just seems to be so strong. That he just he just gets up. Yes. Like he just pushes you away and stands up. Yep. And it's difficult for a lot of people. So it is still an intriguing matchup. <clears throat> um, not as high up on the rankings as Blades was, obviously. But what strikes me here is the odds. Um, I got Derek Lewis at a plus four hundred mm. on Bet three sixty five. And and I put money down on it. This is a guy that could knock Jalton Almeida out into the third round. Yes, if, if he had to. Yes. So, um, I yeah, I I like those odds. I don't think Derek Lewis should ever be that much of an underdog in any no. fight because of his because the, the equalizer. That's yes. what you, it's what they call it. It's the great equalizer yep. is that power. Yep. And I haven't seen Jalton Almeida <laughs> fucking take a punch like that from no. somebody. No. Um. So I'm interested to see it. I. It, it you know. I like Jalton Almeida. I think he's going to be around in the heavyweight future. Oh yeah. The heavyweight division, but this could be that this could be that first roadblock for him. It could. It very well could. The other thing I want to say about the Lewis Almeida fight is that Lewis, like Bobby Green is one of those fighters that <clears throat> when he gets to the top of the division, and or like he's in fighting in Houston in his hometown when there's a lot of pressure on Derek Lewis he tends not to be able to you know be right, that be right. there be that fighter to, yeah, to, to win that yeah he's um, never won in Houston yeah yeah he's yeah and he's got knocked out a couple of times whenever he's got towards the top of the division he fought Francis Ngannou and that was very boring mm-hmm. fight he fought DC at one yep. point that yep. was another boring fight um and so whenever he, there's a lot of that pressure put on him he tends not to be able to perform besides that he's a fucking destroyer and in this fight especially short notice short notice he yeah. has nothing to lose oh absolutely so um and given his current momentum i think that it is definitely worth the odds of 400 uh finish finish in the first round if maybe a finish within 60, 60 seconds depending on how ballsy you want to be. All of those, I think, are um, good possibilities, especially because um, Almeida is going to try to grapple with him and get him to the ground. He's going to have to get close. And so yep. he's going to have to close the distance for that. And so we will see. We will see what happens. Yep. So, yeah, so that's that's good. Um, yeah. What's yours? Uh, um, mine is going to be around this weekend. I think that um, there is a lot of good favorites in here. Um, I definitely think that, you know, um, Victoria Dudikava mm-hmm. is uh, the 550, every bit of the 550 favorite that they have her on. Um, I like Mohamed Mokayev um, over Tim Elliott. What are the um, odds on that one? 450. 
he's a four fifty favorite against Tim Elliott. Okay. Um, the Tim Elliott tends to give those wrestlers a run for their money though. Like he's, yes, yes, he's a scrappy and he's he a does. creative scrambler. So a hundred percent, and he's a veteran. He's been there at the top of the division. He's had great fights. All of that. Um, what I am going off of is that uh, in that fight is that Tim Elliott seems to be in a um, very you know um, not a great place okay. and maybe so gotcha. much mentally and emotionally. Gotcha. Um, I know that like you know um, there's this whole scenario between him and his ex-wife and his ex-wife is with a guy who's fighting on the BKFC card that's coming up this week. Um, and, uh, you know, he's Tim Elliott who has a fight coming up against Mohamed Mikhaev, who is a, f- is a fucking warrior. This guy's last performance, he got his fucking leg absolutely chewed up right. and couldn't stand on it and was able to get the fight to the ground and submit the dude with neck crank and then couldn't even stand up afterwards right. because he wasn't, he was going to die besides <laughs> lose that right. fight. Um, <clears throat> and so, okay. um, this is the kind of fighter that he is facing and instead of, you know, talking about that or, you know, whatever, his mind is in like, oh, I'm sponsoring the guy that's fighting the guy that's, you know, banging my ex-wife and blah, 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 right, blah, blah, and all right. that. It's not a good look. Yep. You know, men, everything that I've been able to um, see from and know about fighting is you're not, when you're in there, you're not really fighting your opponent you're fighting yourself you're trying to get your best performance out there get to the flow state be comfortable and and express yourself you know through the violence and if you can't and your mind is other places you're not going to be able to be there and and perform at your best level and so um that is why um i definitely would favor mohammed in that fight also um the biggest fan the biggest favorite maybe on the card at a minus 600 um, is Ikram Alice Karoff, and he is, um, which is interesting. These odds have him at only a. These odds have him at a plus one hundred, which is not. At all. I want to know it's where not a plus at all. One hundred uh, is a coin flip. Yeah, I want to know where they have those odds because that's where I want to bet on. Um, for hundred <laughs> percent. I take that. Um, the yeah, other, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's minus six hundred favorite against Warley Alvarez. I'm Jeez. a big Warley Alvarez fan. He is one of those guys that um, you can't ever count out and can knock anybody out. Um, but Ikram is on a, another level right now. Um, he is, you know, something crazy like fourteen and one. I believe is what his record is. His only loss coming to um, Chemayev. And um, he looks like, you know, every bit of a destroyer. Warley Alvarez in the later part of his career, you know, um, ups and downs. Definitely on the back nine. And so, yeah, so I definitely favor all three of those favorites. Uh, You want to put them in a parlay, see what you can get out of it. I don't know if you can find wherever they've got fucking Ikram at plus one hundred. That's a that's a great bet. Yeah, if the I UFC would, website lets you bet, yeah, go ahead and take those. Yeah, odds. I would I would take that all day. Um, but if you're looking for a live dog this weekend, um, I believe to look no further than the main event. I think that um, Alexander Volkanovsky, um, you know, just fighting Islam recently, looking very good in the performance. Like we said, some people thought he won the fight. I thought that Islam, personally, I think that Islam, you know, won the decision. I had him winning three rounds to two over uh, Volkanovski. But as the fight, depending on, but as winning a fight, inflicting more damage, 
beating your opponent and um, all of those things. You can't you can't argue. Volkanovski dropped Islam. He you know put it on him that fifth round. You could have maybe even given him a ten eight because he was so close to finishing him. And if they were if they had to continue to fight past that. Um, I don't think Islam had anything that, for Alexander. That fight ended. That fifth round bell rang with Alexander Volkanovsky postured up on Islam, beating the shit out of him. Beating him. Beating the shit out of him, and Islam just barely trying to survive yeah. there. And so um, I know that you know Volkanovsky has taken this fight on 12 days' notice. Islam also is fighting a completely different fighter than Charles Oliveira on 12 days' notice. Did Islam learn from the mistakes of the last fight and will he capitalize more did alex learn from the mistakes of the last fight will he comp will he be able to capitalize more both of the whatever you take however you look at it for one fighter right it weighs back on the other one agreed and so to me this is a much more of a pick em, um to see who's gonna end up showing up out and gonna end up taking this right. and um so yeah based on how that first fight went and how close it was i disagree with the betting odds but again <clears throat> betting odds are generally based on how much mon- money is being bet on a certain fighter in a yeah. given time. Uh, and I, yes, I, Alexander Volkanovsky is taking this on short notice, but don't for a second think that he wasn't in shape or in the gym training. Oh yeah. Or, and, and plus he has their entire previous fight to draw from. Yeah. He's fought this guy already. Yeah. So I completely agree. I think that's a great bet. Yeah. So there you go. Those are the bets. You can take from them what you will. We make sure to give you enough to work with this time. And, um, yeah. So once again, we will. there will be a couple UFC cards, big boxing card. BKFC has a card. There's a lot of stuff coming up next couple weeks. So we will enjoy them, as we hope you do too. And then we will be back for another one. So until then. All right. We'll see you in episode three again. This has been Snapcast.